Welcome back to the Teach for the Heart podcast, where we tackle teaching challenges from a biblical perspective. Why are we here? Because we don't believe that our spiritual walk and teaching profession should exist in two separate domains. Rather, the hope we have in Christ should change how we approach everything, not just at home, but at school as well. So join us as we explore both the spiritual and practical sides of key teaching challenges, integrating them together so we can succeed at teaching, glorify God, and make a lasting difference in our students' hearts and lives. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Herzog Foundation, but any views and opinions expressed in this episode are my own and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Herzog Foundation. We're excited to be back today with the final episode in this series where we're sharing kind of the best of the best, our top picks from past summit sessions. And I will say it has been so hard to narrow this down, um, but we're excited to be bringing you this session today. It's called Saving Time with Grading, Lesson Planning, and Paperwork. And these tips are coming from the Teach for the Heart team. So we hope that you will enjoy this session and be able to pick out some tips that will help you in it. All right, here we go. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Rise Up Summit. I'm so excited to be here and be joined by our team here at Teach for the Heart, Sarah, Alex, and Jen. Um, and we're going to take just a moment and introduce ourselves to you. But before that, what are we talking about today? We're talking about how to save time specifically with grading, paperwork, and lessons. And we're just going to share a variety of tips. So I'm so excited for this. Before we get going, we're going to go around the team and everyone's just going to real quick introduce themselves um, and tell um, where their teaching experience is. And let's do Sarah, then Alex, then Jen. All right. I'm Sarah and I primarily taught Spanish, but I did do some teaching in math as well. I'm Alex and I taught special education. I taught at the junior high level and the elementary school level. And I'm Jen, and I taught math at the junior high, middle school, and high school level. And if you don't know me, I'm Linda. I also taught math, uh, mainly in junior high and some English as well. So we're really excited. I hope we have a variety of experiences here. And we wanted to do in this session is to just give you a bunch of different tips and ideas of specific ways that we, either we as a team, have saved time or that we've learned since working with Teach for the Heart, we work with so many teachers and hear so many ideas from others. So some of them, these will be from our experience and some from others. So um, we're going to progress in a little bit of a roundtable. It's just going to be an informal conversation that you get to listen in on. So I hope you guys enjoy this session. All right, we're going to start out with grading. Um, what to grade? So what about you guys? How did you determine when you were teaching what to grade and what not to? Oh, before we get into that, though, just hopefully you guys listening realize you shouldn't be grading everything. That is one way to save time. So how do we know what to grade and what not to? Sarah, you had some thoughts on this, I think. Yeah, well, um, I always try to limit and stay with them. Like we we really try to shoot for two grades a week. And so... Um, I counted our in-class activities because those were guided with what we were working on that week. So I could could see where they were on the skills we were working at. And then I also tried to grade the bell ringers that we'd work on, like maybe two a week. Um, and I'll share a little tip about that later on. But um, when I was grading those, I like to do that because they were cumulative. They were building up on the skills that we had worked on through the year so that I could see how they were retaining the skills that we were working on um, up through that point. So that it kind of gave me a guidepost for where they were. And I felt like I was getting grades that really mattered. 
I love that. Jen, you had some thoughts too. Yeah. So mine might be a little bit, (laughs) I don't know, controversial, but I think the fastest way to cut down on the time that you're grading is to not grade things and to really be intentional about those things. So like I personally want when I'm giving a math grade that the grade that a student gets at the end of the year is based on the math that they learned and it's not based on how organized they were. And so it's okay, I think, to have like a section of your overall grade that is, um, you know, like those soft skills maybe that we're trying to instill in our kids because that is something that's lacking in a lot of students. But to have it be proportional to like something that's reasonable, basically. Um, And so if I'm going to give something a grade, I want it to actually count for something and not have somebody pass my class because they were organized or have somebody fail. Alternatively, have someone fail because they're not organized. That doesn't make sense in the end. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a great thought. And by the way, as you're going to see here, sometimes our thoughts might even differ from each other because there's not one right way to do this. Um, So these are all, hopefully you can take the way tips that resonate with you and feel free, you know, and just, just glean from that way. I also taught math. And one thing that I, I had a policy um, in my class that anything we did in class or for homework could be a grade, but I didn't grade at all. So kind of similar to what Sarah said, I would take things um, periodically, like probably about once a week, I would grade something from classwork. Once a week, I would grade the bell work. Um, and they never knew when it was, but I would pick one where most of the people were there, or I felt like it was actually like a good assessment. It wasn't like everyone really struggled with this or, or something like that. And then to Jen's point, that was kind of very tiny grades. It was really just to hold them accountable so that they knew it could be for a grade so that it didn't skew their grade. Um, so yeah. Any other tips on how to know what to grade before we move on? I would just offer one special thing like that putting a grade on something doesn't mean a kid's going to care about it more. (laughs) So we need to be very aware of that as we're doing that. I was just talking like 20 minutes ago with a friend who is teaching and it's her first year and she had attached a grade to something and the kids and the parents were all upset because it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a learning English grade. And uh, so just be aware of that as you're moving forward with those things. So if you're really overwhelmed, ask yourself, hey, could I cut this in half? Could I grade half as much of this and it still be just as valuable? Sometimes you'll say, no, I need to grade it all. Tests, we need to grade them. (laughs) Um, But there might be things that you find you can cut. All right. What about, um, let's talk specifically about grading homework and classwork. What are some tips you ladies have on keeping kids accountable without getting bogged down in grading? I kind of already gave my tip. I jumped the gun a little bit. Uh, Alex, I think you had some thoughts on this one. Yeah. So um, when I was teaching, each student had a file folder and one of them was behavior data um, that was in there. And then one of them was makeup work. And then one of them was parent communication. But so I would always put their makeup work. So if somebody was missing, I'd write their name on the paper as I was passing out the papers and then I'd go in their makeup work folder. Um, And when I was first teaching, I graded everything (laughs) like you know, multiple, like probably two grades in each class. And this is junior high, right? So, (laughs) um, and then I learned this is way too much and it's not needed. And then when kids would be missing, they would just have a huge stack of makeup work. So it really helped when I was only saving what was important and what was going in the grade book for them to actually make up. Um, But I would just keep those extra papers in their makeup folder And it worked out really well because we actually, um, when I was teaching at the junior high, they actually built in a makeup work time for students. 
So some students would get free time. Others would stay in for makeup work. So just grab that folder, hand it to the student. Just made things so much easier. It's really smart. Jen, I think you had some thoughts too. Yeah. Uh, so mine is, you know, kind of specific to math a little bit. It wouldn't necessarily work as much with other classes because in math, there is generally a right answer. And so, but what's important is can they get to that right answer? And so the work is something that they have to show or provide. And, and that, so that's really the part that they're benefiting from is the working it out. Um, so a couple of things that I do is when I was teaching, I would always see, ask like, what's the minimum amount that I can do to get an adequate picture. Um, and then even that might get cut down even further. So like with math light, what we did was, or there's a lot of like eight to 10 questions that go on a practice set. Well, maybe they have time to get done with all that in class. So then they don't have to have something outside. Um, sometimes that's, that would be where we would actually even like, I wouldn't give a grade on any of that, but then maybe give like an exit ticket and they only got graded on the exit ticket. So then instead of even looking at eight things, I'm looking at one specific thing. And then what I love to do, and I got this from a friend, you know, like the best things are stolen from others, but to take um, those, so those exit tickets and she would call up what she called her favorite mistake. And so she would put those on the uh, like projector thing and they would talk through basically the mistakes that people made. And then they would pour problem solving and thinking through that. And then she also did these gold star answers so that I think our students can get this picture of like, what does a really good answer look like versus like, what does a four out of 10 look like? Because they don't usually see that when it comes to homework, they just see our answers or our work. So if they can see against each other, you know, and those kids that get the gold stars, they get really excited about it too. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, right? The concept of like, you can go over stuff and, and have valuable learning with it without taking everything for a grade. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I did sometimes is a lot of times I would collect student work. And if I wasn't grading it, I would, I would still collect it. And sometimes I would literally just collect it and put it right back in the in bin. Like I wouldn't even look at it or I just glance through it. Or sometimes I'd put check marks on the top. Um, so that's, that's one little thing I did too, where I felt like it held them accountable more. Like I, they turned it in, I collected it. Um, but I didn't waste the time going through all of it. It's just, you just don't have time. So don't feel like you need to. <laughs> yeah. You know, one other thing that I did a lot of times for homework was um, I used, used the platform Edpuzzle so that it was self-correcting and mm -hmm. I didn't have to correct anything, <laughs> um, which made it really simple. They were getting great content and um, I just had to simply record what Edpuzzle said. <laughs> so that saved my grading time really it, it was, it was awesome. I love that. That's such a great tip. I thought of one other one, depending on like what's appropriate at your school and the age of your students, you can also have students grade some stuff. Um, especially if it's just like a homework grade or a classwork grade. Um, if I wanted to take it for a grade, I would have students exchange and grade it right there and put the number wrong at the top. And they could put a, if there was any debate, you just put a question mark. And so then I only had to, I only had to, you know, put the official grade and put it in the grade book. I didn't have to actually go through and check. And so it was very fast for me as opposed to, I mean, taking half an hour to, to grade a, you know, homework paper. So that was really helpful too. Mm -hmm. All right. Now I know not everyone taught writing here, but um, if you teach writing or have anything to do with English and writing, it can take really long to grade writing. Um, but I think this does apply even across other subject areas, you know, that where you're, where you're doing some type of, of paper or writing. So what are some tips that we have for grading writing without it taking forever? Um, either practice writing or like those final, final papers, any tips for writing? 
So I wouldn't grade the practice paper, but I did have a checklist for them to check their own draft. What I found worked because we just had some students who would just, yeah, I checked it and nothing was changed is it was a very specific checklist, like underline all the punctuation and make sure it's at the end of every sentence. So they actually had to mark up their paper. So I knew they were actually checking it, you know, circle all the misspelled words, that kind of thing. And then they would um, write, you know, they'd take that and then they'd write their final draft on a new piece of paper. So that cut down obviously because hopefully they're catching more errors earlier. And then, like I said, I don't, didn't grade the practice one. And then we were lucky we had a district wide rubric. So I would use that. And then it, it was really helpful because it felt like all the writing teachers were on the same page with the way that they were grading things. And you just mark it on the rubric Um trying to make it as objective and not subjective as possible. I love that. Yeah. Mine, mine kind of goes off that too. I didn't always have writing stuff that I did. I would try and incorporate writing stuff with my math, but really having a detailed rubric. um, And I would print them out that every time kids would turn the project in. Um, And so then, but then instead of like using a pen or anything, when I would actually go and give them like their daily grades on it, I used a highlighter. So I would just highlight over things. So I didn't have to make any notes or anything, or um, it just, it's sped things up for me a ton. Yeah. And I, I also did the checklist, but I loved Alex's checklist so much more. <laughs> I loved, I loved the, uh, the circling and the underlining. I think that is such a great idea. I wish I would have done that. <laughs> um, and, but the other thing that I would do is I would, because I was teaching Spanish, a lot of times I would, you know, have specific verb tenses that I was looking for in, in a paragraph or, um, things like that. And I would, I would clearly state that in the checklist. And so the students and I both have the same exact checklist. And so I felt like that was really fair that they knew exactly what they were being graded off of. Um, and as a teacher, like, I just felt like that was so nice because sometimes writing is so subjective and, I was like, they know exactly how to get a hundred percent on this. <laughs> and I just felt like that was just such a nice, like way to know how to do exactly what you're supposed to do with writing and get a hundred percent. Like, um, but I also love the one point rubrics that, um, Jennifer Gonzalez talks about. I, um, I actually, that's how I kind of got to the checklist point. Cause I couldn't quite figure out how to make the one point rubric work for me, but I did kind of adapt the checklist to make it work. So. These are so many great ideas. I also use the not, I did not grade the drafts. I think that's such a huge time saver. If you're taking time to grade your students' draft, teach them to edit their paper. If you're editing it for them, you're taking tons of time and they're not learning how to edit. (laughs) So I totally echo that. And then for me, it's interesting. Like this is where it's like different things work for different people. Like having a strong rubric. For me, I did not like having like a number rubric because I felt like then I'm taking all this time adding, doing, even though I'm a math person, like I'm doing all this math. And sometimes I'm like, it didn't come out where I feel like it should. And I'm going back and adjusting. And so I, that did not work well for me. Um, what I did instead is I had kind of more than just the checklist and it was, they got the checklist. I got the checklist. And, um, 
I would just circle things that were wrong and I'd put checks and smileys by things that were good. And then I had a rubric, I guess I had a rubric in my head. <laughs> I knew, you know, two points, two points, two points. Like I used that. Or sometimes I did get to the point where I just, it could, I could do a holistic grade and it was fair. So some, some of you might get to the point where you're comfortable with that. Sometimes you might not. What I mean by holistic grade is I just, based on how many things I just knew this is what the grade should be. But one biggest thing I will say that was huge in saving time from having to feel like I needed to write a ton of comments was the fact that I did have everything. And you can do this whether you have, whether you use a rubric or a checklist, like marking on there the things that were good and the things that were, were not, um, or needed improvement. That is a ton of valuable feedback. And then you don't have to like mark up their paper and write a bajillion notes. Like that is great feedback. Students will always like, it was very clear to them. So don't feel like you have to write a bunch of notes if you have all the things you're going to write and you just that. And I've also seen teachers do that where they have like a bunch of comments like that they often give, and then they just circle the comments that apply to that, to that paper. That's super smart. Well, that's good. Cause I was actually thinking like of having that common, that type of thing. Cause a lot of kids are turning, you know, we were a Google school. And so everything was Google. Like nobody was turning in paper, you know, projects. Well, they turn in projects, but um, not papers. And so having like that document of the comments so that then you can just copy and paste them. Or I know in Google classroom, you can have some of those too. Um, so just to save time. And I think you build those over time. But if you're a new teacher, go to another teacher and say like, can you send me what your comments are? <laughs> That's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. brilliant. <laughs> just build up that bank when you write one, be like, this is going to come up again. I'm going to save it. Yeah. That's something that as, as, teachers who have been there, we should just start sending them to teachers who are new. Here are the, here are the comments I've been using. This is my gift to you. Yeah. It's like a new teacher shower. That. Yes. <laughs> what a great idea. Um, now I want to make a list of comments. All right. Maybe we'll get to, maybe we'll do that this year. Okay. Let's move on. Any other final tips on grading? Any, anything else before we move on to paperwork? Any other tips that helped you save time grading? Yes. The one thing that I wanted to say is that for my bell ringers, I actually had my students keep a folder with their with a bell ringer template in it um, that they got a new one every Monday or Tuesday if it was one of those weeks. <laughs> um, and they would keep that paper all week. So I didn't have all these little pieces of paper floating around my room because I'm not that organized and I don't expect them to be that organized. So then I just got one piece of paper from each of them each week that had all five answers on it. And that's when I chose what two, one or two that I was going to grade that week. And it made my life so much easier. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Yeah. So I have a really strange one, but I'll just throw it out there because our school used it. <laughs> um, the last school that I taught at, we had, again, a math department, so easy-ish to grade tests. But we were actually training our students that as soon as they finished their test, they were to leave whatever they used. So if their pencil stayed at their desk and then we walked them through and they would go to the back table and all of the answer keys were there with a red Ooh. pen or a whatever color it was that week. Um, and so then they had to go through, correct their paper. They weren't like grading it, but they would, you know, again, like Linda's idea, if they didn't, weren't sure, they would put a question mark. Um, but then they had to correct it. So if they found like, okay, my mistake was in this step, they would have to actually like from that point on copy it down. And so then they were learning, hopefully, 
Um, it didn't always save a ton of time because there were still those kids who would, you know, like not correct it. So we'd have to go back and be like, oh no, you actually lost points here. But, um, but overall it really was helpful because they, they did see, and they knew right away, you know, there's that question of like, well, how did I do, you know? And I know for certain kids, they feel like they did really well. And then they get their test back and they're like, oh. They bombed it. And so this kind of minimized that where they could have an appropriate view of how they did, but also like, oh, it was just small mistakes or it was really big mistakes, that kind of thing going forward. And so that was really helpful. But there were always, you know, you couldn't, there were kids who would try to sneak and cheat and do all that. So you had to really watch it, but, um, but it was useful if you can make it work. These are such great tips. Thank you guys so much. So those are some tips. Hope you guys took away some for grading. Um, let's move on to paperwork. Um, when we have a couple different areas we're going to cover, let's start with missing work. Any tips on keeping track of missing work without getting overwhelmed? I think Alex, you already mentioned your folder system. Yeah. Yeah. That's super helpful. Um, Sarah, what did you guys do? So, I mean, at, when I was, um, at school, honestly, unless a, unless a student had a 504 and IEP, I kind of delegated to the, just to the student. And I know that sounds rough, but, um, unless they were an elementary student, because I did teach K through 12. Um, so, but if they were a middle school or high school student, they knew how to check their grades. And I had an open policy that they were more than welcome to come talk to me or email me, but they knew automatically if they had an e a missing assignment. So I really didn't track it. <laughs> it was up to them. And, and I feel like kind of a mean teacher for saying that, but I also felt like they were very empowered to take care of it themselves. Cause the first year I was there, I, I made a mistake of trying to track it all down. And that was a nightmare. So <laughs> after that, it was on them. <laughs> what did you do, Jen? Um, okay. So I, again, stole from another teacher um, and I kind of made a visual. So it kind of looked like this where basically like we would have the like titles of things at the top, this like daily work and then their names along the side. And I wouldn't mark in who did it. Like basically you got to, you got the points if you did the work, but I would highlight if kids were absent or if they didn't do the work so that then I knew to go back in. And I always found that if I put those zeros in the grade book, kids were kids and their children and their parents were highly motivated to make those zeros go away. But if it was like a blank spot, they wouldn't be as motivated. And so it would get to be the test and I would put the zero in and they'd be like, ah. So to kind of mitigate that, I started putting in zeros right kind of as soon as I could, basically. I didn't hurry on it, but. Yeah, I love that. Um, for I, so I had a, a different approach. I had something where I was trying to require my students to make up missing work, even if they already lost credit for it. I don't know why I was just feel, I felt stubborn in that way. I don't know if I'd do that again, but, um, so if you're in a situation where you're like that and I'm like, they're going to do their work. <laughs> um, I just had a running total for each class. It was just a Google doc or like a word doc. And I would just paste like the list of people that were missing it. And when I got stuff in, I just delete it. And so I just had a running total. So it was really easy to just print it out and just give it, just pass it out. Like here's a list of what's missing. Um, and then I would also have a spot at the bottom for um, absent work. And that was the most helpful part. I could put on there, if you're absent, this is when it's due, um, things like that. So right, what about staying organized? Any tips for um, the way you organized papers and kept track of everything? Label maker and color coding for everything. 
And I'm just not naturally organized. So I had to work very hard to become naturally organized. And oh, the Christmas I got my label maker, it was like the whole world opened up for me. (laughs) I love that. I love how some teachers love that and some just don't. So it's like, if that's good for you, use it. You know, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't a label maker, but I did color code everything so that I knew like red was seventh grade and gray was, you know, this other. And so, and those were uh, the colors that Dollar Tree had that year for everything. So that's what I got. Um, But then the only other thing that I feel like I figured out, because this was really hard for me, was I bought a like 10 slot mailbox that was just a cardboard on Amazon. And I had one side was the in and the other side was the out and everything went in those spots. Um, And then I had the matching colors that were like folders for me to take home. Um, So it only was in one of those three places. Like I didn't have papers on my desk or anywhere else. Like it was either there or it was in my, my little folder to take home because otherwise I, you know, like there's that dreaded, like I'm going to lose somebody's paper and then they're, you know, what do I do with that? So that was my way to get around that. I, I love that. did use something similar, Jen. I We had like an in, an inbox, but then I was lucky I had an aide and she would paper clip that assignment. She'd put a post-it with the, with the class on the top. So we might have a couple things in the inbox, but they're all paper clipped and like separated because I taught multiple classes. And then we'd have one that was an outbox and that was all the papers to pass back. Um, but then I also had behind my desk, probably like seven trays. And so when I was lesson planning and prepping assignments, kind of do a similar thing where it'd be paper clipped and like a post-it of whatever the day was. And then each class had a, had a tray. So like all my papers were there ready to go. Um, so that worked well for me. And again, it's like everything is in a tray somewhere, <laughs> paper clipped and labeled. So it helped a lot. Yeah, that's the key, right? Just having a spot where it's like, this is the spot for this type of thing so that it's not like, where is it? You, you know where to put it. Um, one thing I, 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 I echo a lot of what you guys said. One thing that I did with in bins is, um, uh, the paperclip thing is really helpful. Like when students were turning in papers, I always had the last student, like that got the stack paperclip it and put it in the bin. And then I had two different in bin sets. I had in bin that was just like my generic in bin for like that paper clipped stacks of papers. And then I had separate in bins for each class for anything that was late or missing. So, you know, those like one-off papers that it's like, oh, they're going to get mixed in. So that way I had my stacks and then I could just go through and pull all the one-offs and deal with those like as a bunch. And so that they didn't get mixed in and mixed up. So that was kind of helpful. too. That's a good idea. Mm-hmm. One question I do have, and I'm sure that I'm not the, the um, only teacher that that struggles with this. I always forgot to hand back papers. Like they would be graded and everything. I never remember. Do you, did you guys ever have any good tips for like remembering to hand back papers? I had students hand them out. It was a student job. So they, I, they, it was their job first thing in the, and they do it for a month or two at a time to go back to the in bin and grab everything. And if it was confidential, I just fold it. So only the name was seen and like put the grade below, you know, so I'd put everything in there. Sometimes they'd forget and then it'd be like big the next day, but yeah, that's well. a good idea. Anyone else have anything? All right, let's jump to required paperwork like IEPs. Uh, any any tips for saving time with just that required paperwork, IEPs, anything like that? 
I just had a cheat sheet for each class because I had I had every student in the school pretty much. And so I had to have like a quick glance list for each class I taught um, because there were so many kiddos that I couldn't, you know, some of them I only saw once a week and some of them I saw every day. And, you know, so I just wanted to make sure that I was meeting all of their needs and documenting what I needed to document. And that was hard to keep up with, especially with with that many students. So it was a lot. (laughs) That's smart. So you're not like wifling through papers all the time. It's just like, yeah, I just kept them in their little color coded class folder. (laughs) Love that. We take a quick break to let you know that this podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Herzog Foundation. The Herzog Foundation supports Christian education in a variety of ways, and I highly recommend checking them out. One thing in particular I want to recommend to you is looking at their trainings. They have free in-person trainings for both Christian school leaders and in some cases for teachers as well. These cover a variety of important topics like culture building, board leadership, marketing and enrollment, strategic planning, and so much more. Not only are the trainings free, but lodging and meals are often also covered by the Herzog Foundation. So please check these out and see if they're right for you and your school at herzogfoundation.com slash events. Now back to the program. Alex, you worked a lot with special ed. Yes. (laughs) So I had to create the IEPs. So it's a lot of paperwork, but I created like a, a checklist with basically all the steps I needed to do, like send home the meeting notice to the parents. Um, and then I had these sheets of paper. Now, maybe I'd use a Google form, but it was on paper <laughs> um, that I would send to the general education teachers so they could fill out the student information. It would ask for like strengths and um, things like that. And I just put it in there mailbox. Um, so that was like one of my steps was that I needed to give those papers to the general education teachers. Um, but it was more, it was helpful instead of like going into the system, you know, looking at each page, it was really helpful to have one page where it was like, what have I done on this IEP? What do I still have left to do? Um, so that was helpful. And then of course I would save my favorite IEP goals to, we had like an online system that you can save it to, but you could just have it in a Google doc and it's curriculum that, you know, you're going to be covering. It's like, if this student, um, struggles in writing, um, then you have, you just have a specific goal that, you know, let's say proofreading is the really tough thing. Then you have a specific goal for that. And of course you adjust it as needed, but it's nice to copy and paste and you know, Specifically, you're going to be doing assignments that are going to cover that goal. So that that was the most helpful to me. And then when I had an IEP coming up, like it would have its own folder with, you know, paperwork as paperwork came in. Um, but just having everything on one page. And then I also would make a calendar in the beginning of the year where I would put everyone's progress report on the calendar. So just be, you know, Johnny and then progress report due. Like it was an actual calendar um, that I print off, you know, each page is a month or something like that. And, but all it had was IEP progress goals. And then when their actual um, IEP date was, so I could just easily look at that. How many IEPs do I have this month? How many goals are due? 
again, other than going to each individual one in the system, um, is just a lot easier. Anything that I could have quickly at a glance because it's so easy to miss something. If you have like 30 students on your caseload and everyone has, you know, three progress reports due and the annual IEP and wait, this one's a triennial. So there's a lot more testing for it. I have to get ready a lot sooner. Like just having that, um, quickly at a glance. And so I try to do that in the beginning of the year, like get that calendar made and, you know, make sure that I had the checklist available for when I needed it. Oh, those are such great tips. All right. Any final paperwork tips, anything with saving time with paperwork, and then we'll move on to lesson planning. We just seem to have, um, like just the little paperwork things. Like we had like weekly reports that we needed to turn in, or if there was anything I needed to remember to take the office, like permission slips, things like that. One of the things I always did, so I never forgot to take them wherever they needed to go, is I always had like a office basket right at the door of my room so that I could just put whatever needed to be taken out. I could just pick it up on my way out. And that way I wasn't always having to run back up to my room again and get whatever I forgot, you know, on my way out the door or whatever. And it just helped streamline whatever needed to go or if I needed to drop something off at someone else's room. Um, and I was just, I, I think I learned that off someone else's blog or something like that. And it made such a difference um, on just actually getting my paperwork in on time. <laughs> so I was really, I was excited when I started doing that. I love that. That's great. Um, I, re- I just have one tip and that is, um, know the importance of the piece of paperwork. There's some paperwork that's very important that needs like, need, like, you know, you're working with someone's IEP. Like this is important. This is this kid's learning. There's other things where it's like, this doesn't really matter. Um, and the things that are just like formalities, you just have to do them. They don't really matter. Like just, just do the bare minimum. Like I, we sometimes struggle as teachers to do the bare minimum, but if something's not important, just do the bare minimum, just get it done. Don't, don't make it doesn't have to be perfect <laughs> or a work of a work of gorgeousness, you know? <laughs> yes. All right. Those are great. Let's move into lesson planning and we're going to try to move through this a little bit quickly here. Um, but let's talk some about lesson planning. Now, when we say lesson planning, there's actually a few different parts to this. So let's talk, we're going to talk about it in two different categories. We're going to talk first of all about like calendaring, meaning like planning, what am I going to teach on this day, on this day, on this day. And then we'll talk about lesson prep. So like preparing the materials and the content. So we'll kind of break it up. Cause yeah, when you say lesson planning, that's actually super broad. (laughs) So let's talk first about calendaring. What tips do you have for saving time when you're planning what to teach each day and then like writing out that plan? And how did you make decisions quickly without getting stuck? How detailed were your lesson plans? Whatever you want to share. I always started with the end goal in mind. So if it was a project or a test or whatever, like I started with that and then I would list out what are the things that I need in order to get them to that point. And sometimes it's like a balance of how much time do I actually have? We'll cut out some things on that list. And sometimes the, you know, the things on that list that I have, like, I want them to be able to do that. Well, it's not realistic. So I need to, you know, add in a a few more things that they don't know how to do. Um, and so it was kind of a balance between those things. But I will say sometimes 
it's just adding in for me, it was adding in, like, I want to do this thing. So even if it's not a standard or it's not something we have to do, like, this is a fun thing. And sometimes we need as teachers, I think, to give ourselves permission to add in those fun things that we know the kids are going to enjoy. Um, and so like being okay with that. But so once I had that listed out, like I never did it on the calendar first, I always did it somewhere else first. And then I would go backwards and like, put it on the calendar, but always in pencil. And I had a friend, again, same friend <laughs> who's very organized. She didn't even use write it in her book. She used these little tiny post-it notes, you know, like the post-it notes that are like, you know, this big. And she would, each color was a different class and she would write the standard, the topic on, on there. And she would move those mm-hmm. on her lesson plan because if there was a track meet that she didn't know about, then she could just move the sticky notes instead of like, having to erase everything. And so I thought that was genius. I love that. Yeah, I um. So one of the things that I did, um, just because I tend to decide things very slowly and I get overwhelmed, is I kind of lesson planned, very similar to how some people menu plan. <laughs> and I would do like Mondays, I would focus on like, music Mondays and we will listen to a Spanish song. Um, and like, um, Tuesdays were always our vocab days where we would like get into the nitty gritty of the vocab of whatever unit we were on. And so like that really helped me. So I wasn't, cause there's like a million different things that I could teach every week. So that really helped me to focus in on what I was doing and, really helped me limit the overwhelm. I love that. That's such a great idea, especially for a subject like that. We have so much <laughs> that you can do with your word language. Like there's so much you can do. Um, for me, well, now I, this, not everybody's like this, but this for me, I, calendaring, well, I was going to say not everybody's like this and that I did like, I did really stick a lot to like what the plan and what I did often matched. I didn't often get very far off, but whether you get far off or not, I think it's really helpful to start in the beginning of the year calendaring the whole year. (laughs) At least that's what I always did, at least with broad strokes. Like I think everyone should do broad strokes. Um, at least kind of like, this is roughly how much time I'd hope to take with each concept. I got down to like, I knew how many days I wanted to spend on each thing. It never worked out quite like that. But so that the reason I say that is because yes, that was, that was a project in the summer, but once I did it once, honestly, it was easy to do in the future years. And then that made it easy the whole rest of the year. Cause all I did was compare, where are we compared to where I want to be? And then if we're behind, it was the question I always asked was, what do I want to cut? Do I want to cut something now or do I want to cut something down the road? And I always had some like lessons identified as like, we're only going to do these if we're on schedule. Otherwise, like I always, even if they're like three months down the road, it's like, those are the ones we're going to cut. You know, if we're, I, I kind of had that in mind. So that made it way easier to calendar. And then my lesson plans were not very detailed at all. Um, I wasn't required to have super detailed ones. So, I mean, I had, you know, we had to have the standard and the, the objective, but I mean, it was really just like go over homework teach 1.4, um, review for quiz. Like that was, those are my lesson plans and then the homework. So, I mean, some people need more than that, but, um, that's a question to ask yourself. Do I need this level of detail if I'm not required to do it? Um, or even if I am required, do I need the level that I'm giving? Um, cause that can save so much time if you don't need it. 
Um, so. so Linda, I'm curious, how did, what was common in those lessons that you were like, these, I don't need, like these were your cut lessons. That's a good question. I mean, I would always look at that at the beginning of the year and just, I would look at, we had a book, you know, like all the book and just be like, what should, what concepts that are taught in here that I feel like are less important. One was like box and whisker plots. I'm like, this is, this is great but it's not really important, you know? So, and I, so it's kind of almost working backwards for me of like, what are the things they have to, those are the things I'm going to spend extra days on. These are really important. Um, and then what are those things where it's like, yeah, this, I, I know what's coming in years to come. Like th- there's no, this isn't foundational to anything else. Yes, it's good. Um, so yeah, that kind of realizing, I, I don't know. I think that's really important. Otherwise you just don't get to the last chapter and that last chapter normally has important stuff. So I'd rather, I'd rather just cut stuff in the middle and get to that last chapter. That's my goal, at least. <laughs> okay. That cuts me a little bit deep. <laughs> I always spent way too much time on like all four of those different plots. And then I was like, oh, we spent so much time and this doesn't matter. <laughs> well, that's why we have different teachers because different teachers prioritize different things, right? <laughs> I love it. Okay. Let's talk about lesson prep. Now, this is like yeah, you can really right. We all every teacher knows you can rabbit hole and get spend just your whole life lesson prepping. What tips do you guys have for saving time? You know, I'm talking about like creating lesson content, test quizzes, materials, anything that you found that was helpful. I did as much batch work as I could at the copier when no other teacher was at the school. Like mm-hmm. I usually either got there really early on Monday mornings or stayed late on Friday afternoons. Um, and I also would, um, this was before Google forms was like really the thing, but I purchased, um, an easy test grader that, that really helped with like, just the, cause I, I found like my curriculum did not come with a test. Like I had to make up my own test. And so that lesson planning part of it. I just was spinning my wheels constantly. So I would, I ended up just being able to do that instead of having to like search teachers pay teachers for the perfect test. That was like, you know, I was like, no, cause, and I, every time I tried to like write them on Microsoft word or something, it just never formatted right. And, um, making the adaptations was really hard, but now it's just so much easier. I'm so thankful. <laughs> how much easier it is to, to make everything the way I need it to be. Um, but yeah, it's just a lot. Um, I found ways to make it so that I didn't have to waste time. <laughs> that was my biggest thing. I kept thinking like, cause I like creative ideas, but the creative ideas can really be a time waster. So I had to like, really like, zone in on if this was a good use of my time as well. That was the other thing. Like there was, um, one of the things that I had mentioned was I love project-based learning and I had to learn to give that up a little bit because I loved it, but my students didn't. And I was wasting a lot of time and energy looking for these amazing projects and they were miserable. It was like the kids at my school did not function that way. And I needed to let that go. So once I was willing to let that go, everyone was a lot happier. <laughs> yeah, needing to adapt. So that's so important. Alex, Jen, what did you guys do? 
Well, it's kind of a little bit similar to Sarah. Um, like when I was teaching history specifically, it's what's coming to mind. But it was like in the beginning of the chapter, we'd always do vocabulary, you know, and then we would read the book, take notes, that kind of thing. Um, always a review game before the test. So just kind of like knowing that sequencing um, is helpful. And then something that I did for some reason, like it just helped me so much mentally because I would teach seventh and eighth grade social studies. So I would try to kind of keep my classes aligned where it's like we're starting a new chapter on the same day. We're doing vocabulary on the same day. Obviously, it doesn't work out perfectly. But for some reason, that was just easier for me to keep track of when both classes were doing the same thing. Um, so I would try to do that. And like when I was teaching English, we would do novel studies like the same time of year, just for some reason, again, like mentally, it just helped. And then something that I learned as I continued teaching that was such a game changer was just, um, picking activities that could be used from multiple kinds of content it made such a difference instead of so because I didn't have to teach my students again, this is how we do the activity. Sometimes just teaching them how to do the activity wastes so much time. So like the beginning of every social studies unit, I would cut up, um, I would laminate and cut up vocabulary words. And we actually had students who like one of the ways they could earn back demerits kind of um, was helping students teachers after school. And so that was helpful because it just, all I had to do was cut up these laminated words. Um, so that was something that I could kind of pass off to students. And then, so I'd have these laminated vocabulary words and I'd have the students work in groups and they had to just guess looking at the words, how to put them into different categories and then give a title for each category. So it was like a preview lesson, but you could use that like for a novel, you could use it for so many things. And then, you know, we would, then they would share their answers and we'd write down all the different possible, possible categories. And then as we read, they would, you know, see what words actually went together and everything. Um, but it was just something that I could use at the beginning of every single chapter. I just needed to change the words. They didn't need to be taught how to do it. Like they were so used to doing that activity. It was also a way to just make sure that I incorporated group work because sometimes it's hard to remember to incorporate that. So I knew like it's always getting incorporated. That That's just like a very specific example, but um, just any activities that were really good. Um, I think it's Cult of Pedagogy that talks about a gallery walk. Um, that's like a good one that you can use from multiple things. I was lucky we were at an AVID school, so we got AVID training. It was basically learning these different kinds of activities and then that could use for, you could use for different content matter. But that, that was such a, a game changer. And instead of spending time again on teachers pay teachers, like you said, Sarah, like Mayflower compact activity <laughs> it was like, let me take the Mayflower compact and how can I use it in an existing activity we already do for the students to understand it? Um, so those, those were just game changers that I really wish that I had known <laughs> when I first started teaching. You don't have to reinvent the wheel every single time. Yeah, I love that, Alex, because you're right. Like it does like to do a good, you know, those procedures. We we know at the beginning of the year that we're going to have to go over procedures that we want our class to run well. But we've like, you're right, like we forget that we want those activities to run well, too. And so using them over and over, like that makes so much sense why like certain, pro you know, activities that I would do worked really well or they didn't. And that's kind of what I found, too, was like, 
what are the types of um, kind of like you, I forget you said Avid was the name of your kind of ones. So we used Kagan structures. And so like either way, whatever you do, like getting that book or like trying something out, I think there's like this safety and like having some, that bag of things that I know are going to work. But then also for me as a teacher, like being brave and trying new things, because you don't know, it may work out way better than I think it will. And maybe the kids that I think are going to struggle with it are actually going to love it. And so finding those like, okay, want something that is safe and something that's new, um, really helped me (laughs) when I was teaching. And then I love what you said about having the kids be a part of it too. Like, you know, whether it's required or to cut things up or just on their choice to cut up the words. Um, but like, sometimes we can, we can enlist the kids to like, okay, you know, make, write a question and, you know, we could either have it, them put them on like note cards where like the problems on one side and the answers on the back with like vocab or whatever the, the topic is. Um, but even faster than that too, I started making Google forms for kids to enter them in. So that then I could just copy and paste them. <laughs> I didn't even have to spend time typing. Excuse me. And that that helped me like just speed things up on my side too. And I didn't lose anything because it was just all in a Google form. Wow. These are so great. I love this. And by the way, we'll link underneath here, but we have an article on Teach for the Heart of some ideas to take like worksheets and turn them into activities with that don't take forever because that's the key. <laughs> It doesn't take a long time that you can kind of make it, make it easy. So we'll put the link there, or I think it's at teachfortheheart.com slash rethink worksheets. Oh my goodness, guys. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. This was so helpful. And those of you that are listening, I hope that you will go down in the comments and share your best tips for saving time with grading, lesson planning, and paperwork. And we can all learn and keep adding to this list and learn from each other. So ladies, thank you so much. And everyone, we'll see you again soon in our next session. We hope you enjoyed this conversation and picked up some tips to help you save time with grading, lesson planning, and paperwork. Before we go, I have one other time-saving resource for you. We are going to be doing a free live training giving you five time-saving practices to stop feeling overwhelmed. This is going to be different content than what we shared today in the podcast episode. Um, So we'd love to have you join us. You can get all the information, sign up absolutely for free at teachfortheheart.com slash time training. That's teachfortheheart.com slash time training. Of course, all the notes and links will also be in the blog post for this podcast series, which is at teachfortheheart.com slash best. Once again, this podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Herzog Foundation, and I hope you did enjoy this series. We look forward to being with you guys again soon. In the meantime, teacher, remember God is at work in you and through you, and he's using you to make a difference. Keep your eyes on him and teach for the hearts. 